Welcome to the Pause Purpose Play podcast with me, Michaela Thomas, clinical psychologist, couples therapist, and founder of The Thomas Connection. I help high-striving busy people let go of the pressure of perfection to create more joy, connection, and compassion in their lives. On this podcast, we promote balance of a burnout through giving you the permission to pause, the curiosity to find your purpose, and the courage to play. Welcome back to the Pause Purpose Play podcast with me, your host, Michaela Thomas. I'm your host in helping you let go of that pressure of perfection. And you know what? That can be applied to anything in your life. Did you know that people also apply that to sleep? I just need to have the perfect night's sleep. I need to sleep through the night. I need to put my head down on the pillow and not wake up until the morning and be perfectly refreshed. If that's you putting pressure on your sleep and then finding yourself lying there, tossing and turning, fretting and getting caught up in all these thoughts about your to-do list and all the stuff you need to do the next day, maybe worrying about all the ways that you're going to be knackered and exhausted tomorrow, then this episode is for you. It's going to be a bit of a paradox, a bit of a counterintuitive episode, because we're not going to throw all the different sleep hygiene tips at you. My guest today is going to show you a way to make peace with it, to accept, without being helpless, the things you cannot change, and making changes to the things that you can. And before I introduce my guests, I want you to just have a think. How is your sleep? How would you evaluate your sleep at the moment? A lot of you listening are parents to young children, so I appreciate the sleep is going to be a bit of a red herring. And I'm going to bring you some tips around that as well in this episode, talking about my own experience of having two children who have frequently woken up during the night. So please be aware, dear listener, that this is not a preachy episode. This is going to be one where we help you understand the science and the evidence base around sleep, why we sleep, why we wake up during the night, and what we can do about it. And sometimes that is doing nothing at all. And my guest today is Dr. Guy Meadows. He's a leading figure in the area of chronic insomnia, pioneering the use of acceptance and commitment therapy, or ACT, and mindfulness treatment for insomnia. He has worked with thousands of insomnia sufferers over the past 10 years at his London-based clinic and around the world, and he has set up the Sleep School to help stop insomniacs needlessly suffering around the world. He regularly runs GP training sessions within the UK and trains healthcare providers worldwide in the development of ACT for Insomnia. Guy is a published author of the sleep book, How to Sleep Well Every Night, and he launched the Sleep School app in 2021 which is a highly interactive audiovisual support tool with a wide range of evidence-based 7-day series and 30-day courses around sleep. In 2017, Guy presented on a BBC Panorama documentary called Sleepless Britain. So if sleep is difficult for you, either in periods or all the time, please tune into this episode and learn how to let go of the struggle against your sleep. Welcome to the Pause Purpose Play podcast, Guy. This is such an honour to have you here. Thank you for having me, Michaela. Great to be here. Well, we've already sort of started as uh, so we mean to go on, I hope, with a bit of sense of humour and lightheartedness around 
the concept of sleep and not holding it so tightly. Uh, I already shared to you that my littlest one, who's now eight months, obviously wakes me up frequently at night. And we sort of joked about how, you know, the answer to sleeping soundly is to not have any kids. So before we kind of dive into the doom and gloom of that, um, we are hoping to give you some nuggets of wisdom as well. So using all your expertise from your sleep school. So Let's kind of get started by thinking a little bit about that. Like, why did you stop the sleep school? Why insomnia? Why is that important to you? So insomnia is important from a personal perspective. So here's a a little bit of irony. Um, I did my PhD at Imperial College. I was working um, at the Royal Brompton Hospital and Charing Cross Hospital in the sleep research labs. And the, the irony is that when you're doing a PhD in sleep, basically you don't sleep. Um, you you spend your entire time watching other people sleep or attempting to sleep whilst you're researching on them. And so I spent sort of four and a half years, you know, doing doing nights effectively. And so my the the, the definite personal reason was that my PhD completely destroyed my own sleep um, and gave me my first taste of of insomnia because I was definitely a you know, a really sort of fantastic sleeper in my sort of early twenties. Uh, could sleep anywhere, but then you know, sort of a few years of, of night shifts and that sort of circadian disruption really sort of played havoc um, with my sleep. But so that was the, the sort of the personal reason. But then the, the, the professional reason is I just got really interested in, in the psychophysiological aspects of insomnia. So I'm a physiologist, but I was really interested in the sort of the psychological elements of it, which, which, and, and, and the interaction between the two. So I guess that's unwittingly, I started to focus on insomnia for personal and professional reasons. And, and it carved out my career. Mm. And you know what, that's something I've said to a lot of guests that actually, the way we come into our purpose, the way we come into the, our zone of genius is always kind of almost always been paved with some pain. There's always been some suffering that makes us feel like, oh, actually, this is really important to me. I know firsthand what it feels like to struggle with this. I want to give something out to the world to help them with that struggle. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And a few years later, when we created Sleep School, that was really born out of the fact that sleep was just this incredible behavior, which at the time, you know, we're talking sort of 2010, um, having, I've been running my own private practice way back in sort of uh, early 2000s. And um, 2010, it was just, it was this realization that, you know, the world wasn't sleeping very well. Sleep was this incredible behavior, and yet no one really knew much about it. And so there was this real drive from my business partner and I to, to spread the, the message around sleep and to, to sort of cut through a lot of the, the sort of the, the noise, a lot of the, the myths surrounding it, and hopefully just try and give people some really good evidence-based knowledge to be able to improve it. And, and that's where we came up with our kind of mission, which was to help the world to sleep better, to live better. Because, well, you know, we, as, as you know, you know, if, you, if, you, uh, if your baby sleeps through and you get a good night, uh, just sort of living your life the next day is just a bit easier. It really is. And I'm hoping that we're going to cover a bit of that on that topic as well, or what what sleeping well does to our well-being, and even more importantly, what sleeping poorly does to our well-being, and how that's linked with our emotions. So we're going to dive into that a bit more, but you touched upon a key word there already, sort of myths and how that's linked with evidence base, you know, the science of sleep. So can we cover some of the myths around sleep? Yeah, sure. So 
I, I guess the, the the most obvious one to start with is is the eight hour myth. You know, everyone needs eight hours of sleep. Uh, you know, we're we're very clear now that how much sleep we need is determined by our genetics, um, and it's what's what we call your your biological sleep need. And um, yes, yeah, so, so the reason why we hear seven or eight hours is because around about eighty percent of the population do need seven to eight hours. So the vast majority of us, but you know, sort of around about ninety, you know, the the sort of top ninety, ninety seven percent, ninety eight percent, something like that, need somewhere between six and nine hours. So there is that variation. And this is really important because we can often see, you know, sort of uh, quite scary stories in the media where, where it will say, you know, unless you're getting eight hours, you're going to die or something. And so it's important to sort of reflect on that and go, well, you know, I get six hours and I wake up feeling, you know, sort of refreshed and able to go about my day. If that's if that's you, well, then that's OK. Um, that suggests that's probably the right amount for you, you know, and the key indicator being, do I wake up be feeling refreshed? Am I able to go about my day? Am I able to cope mentally, emotionally and physically, for example? But if you need 10, then that might be, you know, what you need. So it's it's about sort of reflecting on your own personal need and and going with that. Mm. And that's the key thing there about waking up feeling refreshed. I, I guess sort of there's a sense of vitality there that we feel re-energized, whereas a lot of the women I work with sort of a lot of the listeners who would be sort of having this tendency to to push through, they might wake up feeling drained, but they sort of, they use adrenaline or, you know, stress hormones like cortisol to just fuel themselves anyway. They just keep going with that as an energy. I wonder, how do we know that we're waking up feeling refreshed versus I'm just kind of getting stuck into my to-do list and, and, and doing, doing, doing? Yeah, this this is a really great question because it, it it goes so far beyond just the number of hours because it's also the quality of our sleep as well. I mean, you you talk about many of your clients. Um, the reality is is that the vast majority of us are waking up unrefreshed. In fact, we did a survey of twenty four thousand working adults in the UK, and only one percent said they woke up feeling completely refreshed. So it's kind of like you know, the, it's a national uh, habit at the moment to wake up feeling unrefreshed and. So, you know, being refreshed is, is different for, you know, sort of different people. But generally, it is that sense of having enough energy to, you know, to, to feel like you can get up, to be, to, to enable you to do the, the basic um, higher order executive functions, like, you know, to be focused, to be motivated, to, you know, to, to problem solve, um, you know, so, so there's the sort of mental aspects, but also, um, you know, to have that that physical energy to want to sort of move your body, etc. Um, so there are many different ways of of feeling refreshed, but I think most of us most of us have forgotten what it feels like to feel refreshed, and that's why it's quite difficult. And we have many people attend our our workshops where they where they will say, "I I, I don't know what this feeling is that you're describing," but certainly with better sleep and better you know longer sleep and better quality sleep, we can begin to uh, experience a little bit more, uh, feeling a bit more refreshed. That's really interesting. So that's kind of linking back to that myth of the eight hours. It is not just about how long you sleep, because that's also individual to each person and what's functional for each person or, or workable for each person. But then it's also how well you sleep in those eight hours. So can we think a bit more about that, about the quality of sleep? What would be a myth around that? Yeah, well, that that's it plays in perfectly to the next myth, which is that deep sleep is the best sleep. <laughs> and, uh, and and we certainly we have people come to our clinic and they go, you know, uh, I want 100 percent deep sleep. 
you know, I want to swim in this stuff. And, you know, they'll, they'll refer, often compare themselves, you know, perhaps, you know, if they live, you know, sort of our, our clinic is, well, it's virtual now, but, you know, it used to be based in London. And so they might be traveling on the tube and they might be looking across at someone and going, you know, I bet everyone else in this tube literally swallows, you know, is, is, is swimming in, in deep sleep. The reality is, is that we sleep in cycles, which are sort of an hour and a half to two hours long. And in those cycles, we cycle between light sleep, deep sleep and rapid eye movement sleep. And deep sleep, we only spend about 20 percent of the night in um, REM, rapid eye movement sleep. We spend about 30 percent of the night in and uh, we spend 50 percent of the night in, in light sleep. And so actually good quality sleep is about getting complete cycles of light deep REM light deep REM it's not about just you know trying to overload on one on one particular sleep stage and the reason for that is because each sleep stage has its own unique set of biological functions that we and we want to we want to harness the benefits from all of them so yeah so that that's that kind of it gives us an idea about quality mm, it sounds like that's one of those things that we sort of there's a pursuit there we're striving towards uh, getting this ultimate or optimal, which uh, I guess sort of in today's modern society, there's a lot of messaging around how we need to make everything optimal. And I guess uh, acknowledging there that there is the whole, there's the whole cycle that matters, not, not each individual stage of it. Is there any other myths that you, you think would be relevant for our listeners? One of the most powerful myths which we use a lot in our clinic for insomnia is the fact that you're meant to sleep through the entire night you know so so many of our clients you know sort of have read it or believe that they are meant to put their head on the pillow and they're meant to wake up you know eight hours later without any sort of sleep disturbance whatsoever and and this is this is a really problematic myth and and a real fuel for anxiety levels um so you know the, the the basic understanding is that as i mentioned a moment ago we sleep in cycles which are hour and a half to two hours long so we have a natural tendency to to have micro breaks in our sleep and uh, and we will do that you know sort of four to five times depending on how many cycles you get and there are lots of theories as to why these breaks exist you know the most obvious is sort of a, a survival based theory, you know, sleeping at night was dangerous. Um, so you, you know, so you didn't want to go down and sort of, you know, sort of if you were sleeping on the plains of Africa, you didn't want to sort of, you know, go to sleep and stay asleep for eight hours because there's a high chance you'd get gobbled up by something. So, um, you know, the, the theory is, is, is that we, we learn to sleep in small chunks to be able to, you know, sort of check for danger. But there are other theories around sort of laying, help, helps us to onboard memories. Uh, large amounts of data that we've taken on board during the day and it gets sort of uh, processed better in that way or there's a sort of just a basics theory it just it allowed us to you know sort of to uh to, to wake up to feed children to stoke a fire to um you know to change body position for example to avoid discomfort so the crucial understanding is that it's perfectly normal to wake up in the middle of the night and if you suffer from insomnia you know that that can be a real sort of point of anxiety or frustration and anger that kind of oh it's happening again this is so annoying you know sort of uh you know what's wrong with me and and then the sort of the ensuing battle that goes on which just fuels further wakefulness so just taking a moment to realize that actually it's perfectly normal to wake up and how you respond in that moment is absolutely crucial to your ability to fall back to sleep and to educating your brain that, you know, it's okay to, 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 to be awake. 
it's, it's really crucial to, you know, sleeping well and overcoming insomnia. And I think that's one of the biggest themes that I took away from your book as well, the, the sleep book, because it can be a bit provoking to see sort of the, uh, the subheading on it, which is how to sleep well every night when you might have young children or you work shift work or, you know, you have chronic health conditions that makes you wake up in pain, etc. But the idea there, linking it with those two myths that is not about putting your head down, sleeping solidly for eight hours, not waking at all, but it's about letting go of that struggle. You know, I, I really took that away. And that's obviously, um, as a fellow ACT therapist or acceptance and commitment therapy, uh, I wonder if we can think a bit more about that of why this is particularly pertinent when it comes to sleep, why we have to let go of the struggle. Sleep is the ultimate form of letting go. <laughs> it's, it, you, are, you are literally letting go of consciousness. And, and we have, you know, we have many uh, clients whereby actually that is one of the biggest fears for them. It's the, the fear of letting go of consciousness. And often, you know, this is a sort of a side point, but, you know, th that might be because, for example, they've experienced trauma uh, whereby. And so, you know, sort of by letting go, they are they're losing control. They're, they're, they're not able to be on, on alert anymore. But the whole premise behind what I do and the application of, of ACT came many, many years ago when I was working with clients and I was using traditional cognitive behavior therapy for insomnia, which is the, you know, sort of was the most established form of therapy and certainly has the most, you know, research supporting it. And one of the, the, the big themes that, that kept arising is clients would come in and they say, oh, I was awake all night. You know, I was, uh, you know, I was battling and I, you know, I, I just couldn't get myself to sleep. But then, you know, 6am came along and well, I, I realised that, well, I've got to be up at seven. So the night's ruined, you know. And, and I said, well, what happened then? They go, well, then I fell asleep. And I said, well, well what, what happened at 6am? At and they went, well, I just, I just went sodded. I don't care anymore. You know, the night's ruined anyway. And, and I heard this time and time again. And I thought, wow, this is really interesting, isn't it? This moment where, you know, to use what, what I now understand, you know, that sort of more Western term of the moment they gave in, they, uh, they actually fell asleep. And, and it was only sort of, um, I was actually on a, a sort of like a mindfulness retreat and someone mentioned acceptance and commitment therapy to me and and I, I under, began to understand this concept of of acceptance which is you know what we might call giving in is only when they let go of struggling with, with with the sort of concept of being awake when they gave themselves permission to be awake almost well then sleep emerged mm, and that's very powerful isn't it because it's so counterintuitive is such a paradox that when I put the struggle down, when I let go of battling against it, the act of letting go is much easier. And I guess we can think about that physiologically as well, in terms of things like tension or the worrying thoughts in your head. Can we dive into that a bit more? Why is it that when we let go of, right, I must sleep now, it actually gets easier to sleep? Well, I've, I've, I've got this phrase, which is, you know, which I think kind of make sense of it which is you know you never hear anyone say wow i really struggled my way into that great night's sleep and <laughs> and, and and you know because we, we'll go oh you know i i i sort of you know i fell to sleep you know it was it was a really nice you know sort of process but it, it obviously you know everyone agrees with that it goes well you wouldn't struggle your way into a good night's sleep because you know just from a a, a physiological perspective the more you're sort of struggling there's sort of physical act there you're activating your your fight or flight system 
which is pushing you, you know, further to, away from sleep. It's pushing you more towards wakefulness. All of the systems required for you know, sort of fighting and flighting are obviously the ones which push you into a state of hyperarousal. You don't want to fall asleep when running away from that bear. That's not good for us. So there's those you know, sort of the physical aspects, but also as you sort of touched on, there's that mental aspect as well, which is very much, you know, when we struggle mentally, we, we are, we're getting trapped in our thoughts. We're, you know, we're, we're, we're buying into those sort of, or getting overwhelmed by those waves of feelings, the anxiety, the frustration, the anger, uh, et cetera. You know, we, we've perhaps got those physical symptoms inside us. We're, you know, getting a knot in the stomach. We're getting increased heart rate, et cetera. All of this is just boosting alertness levels. And the crucial thing is, is your brain knows how to sleep. It's not the problem. And a lot of our clients will go, you know, I'm broken. My, uh, my, my brain is literally, you know, forgotten how to sleep. And actually, that's not the problem. It, your brain knows how to sleep. It's just you, you're, you're getting in the way of it. And actually, insomnia is what we call a conditioned response, whereby the brain learns to, to sort of expect this heightened state of awareness. And so, uh, again, another sort of good example that many of our clients will talk about is they'll say they can be, you know, sort of sat, maybe, you know, watching the television or something, maybe feeling, you know, really sleepy, maybe even falling asleep. But as soon as they get up to move towards the bedroom, as soon as they see the clock, as soon as a partner says, oh, you know, I'm feeling quite tired. Well, then bang, suddenly they fl they're flooded with anxiety. They're flooded. Their mind begins to race you know, sort of they're, they're feeling tense, for example. And what's happened there is normally the sort of the, 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 the behavioral cues that you would have as you move towards the bedroom, you know, are, are ones of, you know, sleepiness, uh, rest, relaxation. But actually what's happened as a result of repeated nights of struggling with not sleeping is those cues are now, it, it's, it's actually, you know, sort of the act of putting your head on the pillow now triggers fight or flight. And, and for so many, for our clients, it can be incredibly confusing because it's like, I don't understand, you know, suddenly I'm, you know, it's almost like I'm having to give a, a you know, sort of a, a speech to a thousand people or something, but I'm just lying here in bed. Why is my body and brain getting so scared? And, and that's because it's learnt in this moment that this is, that the, the bedroom is no longer safe. It needs to be awake. It needs to be on lookout. And that can happen in the middle of the night. Some, some clients have uh, will have the response whereby it's not the falling asleep; they fall asleep fine, but it could be they they it could be they wake up in the middle of the night and then they're suddenly uh, fully alert. So, letting go, learning to let go of struggling, is the complete opposite to that. Mm, and that's what I think a lot of people listening might be going like, "Well, what do I do about it then? What do I do about this sort of sense of the heightened uh, heightened sense of awareness? What do I do about the fight or flight?" And I guess that's where we really try to be careful because it's not another thing to do. It's not another fix. So it's, you know, when we kind of letting go of struggle, it, then we can't struggle against the fact that we have a struggle and then it gets, it gets very meta, right? But I wonder if we can think a little bit about those, uh, the steps you have in the sleep school to help the clients coming your way with insomnia. Yeah, so, so I, I think it's worth just touching on that, you know, that this idea of, of doing because uh, yeah, I, I, I've got this phrase which, which was going to be the title of the book, but it, it, it didn't make it, it didn't make the cut. But it was uh, this idea that good sleepers do nothing. You know, so if, if you ask a good sleeper what they do to sleep, they'll tell you they do nothing. Whereas if you ask an insomniac, you know, what they do to sleep, they'll often give you a list, uh, a, you know, a list as long as their arm. And there lies the problem. 
basically. It's that that constant doing, that effort connected to trying to get to sleep, which suddenly it puts sleep up on a pedestal. It's like, I have to do all of this to achieve, you know, this thing which requires nothing in order to do it. And, and lots of our clients, you know, they will, they will come to us and they go, you know, I'm lying in bed and uh, I, I've, I've done my yoga. I've been for my run. I haven't had any alcohol. You know, I, I've, I've done some meditation. I've done everything right. You know, what's wrong with me? And that's where we sort of explain this process. So what I've done is carved out steps in the book. Incidentally, we had five steps in the app now, which came out last year, which has been sort of, uh, we've, we've, you know, really pleased with it. Uh, it's been a great success with the app. We've actually cut it down to three steps. So the, the first step is, is the accept step, which is about, it's about just noticing what's going on in the moment. And as, as you know, uh, an essential part of acceptance and commitment therapy is this, is this present moment awareness, being able to notice that you're struggling in the first place. And there's that famous, you know, sort of uh, metaphor, which is, you know, how do you get out of a hole? You know, the first thing you need to do is, is notice, is, you know, sort of, is to stop digging. But actually, even before that, it's to notice that you're you are digging in the first place um, and then you need to put the shovel down. And so that accept step is all about um, accepting sort of what is happening moment by moment uh, and, and, and bringing in that sort of present moment awareness, which is just you know, such a, 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 an essential quality to all of our lives. And then we have the open step. Um, open is all about being open to experiencing the discomfort. And this is such a key ingredient to what we do at Sleep School, but also to the, the, to the ACT model. And it's so counter to, you know, so, so many other, you know, sort of different therapies out there. You know, so I mentioned CBT, cognitive behavior therapy. You know, o o often what I was doing with clients was trying to change the anxiety into something more pleasurable, trying to change the thoughts into something more pleasurable, trying to change wakefulness into sleep. And actually what ACT does is, which is beautiful, is, is it says, well, okay, how can we just change the way you relate to that? You know, can you be more willing to have those thoughts, more willing to have those difficult feelings, more willing to, to be awake? And, and hopefully, you know, it's, it, it, it's that really subtle shift which and in in willingness, which suddenly helps the brain to realize actually it, it's all right to sleep. There is no threat here. And then the final phase is is the live phase, which is again a crucial part of acceptance and commitment therapy. So it's the you accept the discomfort in order to commit to what's important in your lives. And this is you know a really fundamental part of the learning journey for me as I was going through this process. Is, is the recognition that often when you suffer from insomnia, what will happen is you'll allow that controlling element to, to take hold. And many of, you know, sort of uh, our clients will go, well, I can't live my life until, you know, I'm insomnia free, or I can't live my life until I don't have anxiety, you know, et cetera. So they set these really strong rules. And the problem with that is that just fuels that nighttime sleeplessness. It fuels lack of energy. So they stop living their life even more. And many of our clients will go, well, you know, I can't go out with friends. I can't, um, you know, I can't go for that promotion because that could disturb my sleep. And, you know, and, you know, we've had so many clients where they go, I can't get in a relationship because 
I, I won't be able to, you know, sort of manage it whilst not sleeping. And the problem is, 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 is it just it fuels resentment. And one of the biggest reasons why people struggle so hard with their insomnia is because they resent how much it stops living, that stops them living their life. And so what we do is we get people to to live their life with their insomnia, which does sound incredibly hard, because if you haven't slept, you know, you feel rubbish. And the last thing you want to do is, you know, is to is to live your life. Uh, but, you know, the, the crucial thing is recognizing that actually living your life doesn't have to mean running a marathon. It could mean just going for a one minute walk. And but you're still the point is, is that even a one minute walk, you know, outside your house is still moving you towards that that thing of importance to you, which might be exercise or being outside or whatever it is. And so and when you do that, the really powerful thing that we see with our clients is that they start to live their life a little bit more, which means that lessens that resentment against their insomnia, which means that they struggle less, which means they have a little bit more energy for living their life. And it goes around and eventually it allows, it plays a really important part in allowing a little, little bit more sleep to emerge. Mm. And we talked about that before we started recording as well, of how when it's out of our control, like for instance, having young children, living your life in a way that matters to you. And we've, we haven't said the word values, but that's one of the key things in, in ACT and acceptance and commitment therapy is living a life that is valuable and matters to you so that one minute walk might be well then you get the fresh air against your face and that will re-energize you in a way that yes you can't get from sleep at the moment but there are other things you could do to energize yourself to feel that you're living a life that is worth living rather than being trapped in this sort of cycle of battling against the sleep and feeling like once I start sleeping then I'll start living but it's it sounds like the paradox is the other way around that when you start living again then possibly you don't start sleeping again. Exactly. And, and there is this wonderful uh, reality, which is that if, if you imagine your, your brain is, is looking out, it, it's sort of observing uh, your experience. And if it's looking upon a world where it, it kind of, it seems like it's a bit of a war zone, you know, it seems that there's high levels of anxiety within our body. It seems that we are you know, we're, we're purposely choosing to to not live our you know lives. We're, we're we're shunning our relationships. We're not getting outside. We're not looking after ourselves. Well, if you imagine, it's looking upon that, going, well, we are in danger, and therefore, if we're in danger, we need to stay awake because you know this. Is, so you can see what you, but through your actions, your your the, the the messages you're sending to your brain is that it needs to be awake. Whereas, you know, what we know is that a content brain is you know or you know is a happier brain and a happier brain is a sleepier brain you know sort of um uh, neurotransmitters we, we you know you, we know that when you start living a purposeful life however small we start to produce more serotonin and serotonin is a is not only important for boosting mood but it also is a really important um neurotransmitter for sleep as well and and there's no you know sort of there's no surprise that uh sleep and mood are so interlinked because the, the, they share the same neurotransmitters. So one, when one goes, they often go, the other goes as well. And it really is so true for anyone who's been listening into this and knowing that they're, you're quite irritable and ratty because you've had a bad night's sleep. Maybe the kids are working you up again or you pulled an all-nighter or you, know, you had that deadline that's looming over you and you really couldn't quite switch off then we do know that how we wake up and how we are sort of in the day then is very linked with our 
our mood. So I wonder if you could touch upon that a bit more, because there was a part in the book that touched upon that quite beautifully, what happens to us in terms of our emotion regulation. Yeah, exactly. And, and again, this is a what, what we try to do at Sleep School is we try to provide... Um, we people seem very receptive to the science, you know, the, and, and I get sort of really excited by the science because it's super cool and I absolutely love it. But it, I think it also gives it motivates people, you know, and, and they're sort of there through their understanding. And so, you know, what we know is that a good night's sleep preserves our prefrontal cortex. So your prefrontal cortex is that front part of your brain, which is it's kind of like the modern part, which is responsible for managing not only your mental performance, so things like focus and attention and problem solving, but also it plays a really important role in managing your emotions as well. It sort of it acts as like an emotional regulator. And so what it's happening, it's neural connections are helping to keep your amygdala your sort of and your limbic system, this emotional center, more primitive center of the brain under control a little bit. And so when we're well slept, um, we tend to you know, have better uh, emotional regulation. We, um, you know, we are more, it's more easy to wake up feeling happier. Whereas the flip side of that is when you have a poor night of sleep, well, you're, the, the annoying thing is that your prefrontal cortex is one of the first places to go. Um, so not only does that affect your mental performance, but it also instantly you lose that uh, emotional regulatory capacity of the, the prefrontal cortex over the amygdala. And which means that suddenly, you know, we're, we're more emotional. And many of our clients will go, I just don't understand. I'm just literally crying everywhere these days. And, and you explain to, well, that's perfectly normal. When you're sleep deprived, you, we are in a heightened emotional state. The smallest thing can lead to a greater emotional reactivity or response. And um, and it, it generally tends to be more sort of negative. So there's there's lots of great neuroscience now showing how a good night's sleep can can help us to manage our mood. You know, so when we're talking with our clients, it is about teaching them those tools to be able to to step outside those that emotional experience that they are are you know, sort of um, experiencing in that moment. And um, so rather than sort of getting caught with that roller coaster, to be able to sort of observe it, to name it, to look at it, to go with it and to ultimately to to accept it. You know, OK, so this is where I am right now. I feel really anxious right now. I feel really sad right now. But then, as we said, sort of being able to with that sort of clarity, it creates a little bit of a wiggle room, a little moment of choice where we can go. OK, so even though I'm absolutely shattered and I'm feeling you know, up to the sort of the hilt in anxiety right now, what's good for me? What, what, what self-care can I take? I'm going to get 10 minutes of sunlight this morning because that's, you know, that's really important to me. I'm going to eat something nutritious for myself. So it's, you know, by helping people to respond more effectively to the emotional dysregulation that, that sleep causes, it enables people to make those those behavioral choices which you were touching on sort of you know in the daytime which which can ha have such a big impact on our mental health and then on our sleep and it's a lot of thoughts that i get when i'm listening here because it's partly i'm obviously relating it to myself and my own sleeplessness uh and i said sort of beforehand that i am what i see as a, as a good sleeper in the way you describe it that good sleepers do nothing but ever since my children were born, uh, sleep has been a, a right issue because my first one took four years to sleep through the night and my second, who's now eight months, also uh, you know, wakes up frequently. But the, the biggest difference in my journey between child one and two has been the acceptance. I've surrendered into it and um, 
I bought myself a chair in the bedroom that says never give up on it. So I look at that <laughs> and I'd never give up because regardless of how dark it feels, like the morning will come and you will, if you then engage in those behavioral strategies, you go for that walk or you leave the house or you go home to another parent and just sit there and have a cup of tea, like it, it will, it will shift. It will eventually pass. And that can be a really difficult part of acceptance of that sense of, it, it will pass and even the good things will pass. So even when you have that elusive one good night of sleep, that might also pass and then you have a shitty one again. So uh, we're not holding on to uh, outcomes too tightly, but that, that definitely sort of the idea of surrendering into, I cannot fix my baby's sleep because it's not something that is needing to be fixed. That has been the biggest difference in how my mood is about each of the children's journeys. And I think if I would factually look at it, I think child number one and two wake up equal amounts of times in the night, but I am much more refreshed and happy and content with the second child than I was with the first. And the big difference there is I'm not trying to fix it. Exactly. And I think it's it's such a beautiful example of, of, of sort of where acceptance can be so powerful. And, uh, you know, it, it doesn't matter what sort of situation you know, what, what, what the sort of the stress is, which you're experiencing in your life, you know, that there's, there's different ways of approaching it. And yeah, I, I've always been a big fan of the, uh, the serenity prayer, you know, the, the, the sort of grant me the courage to change that, which I can change, uh, the patience to accept that, which I can't, and the wisdom to know the difference. And you can apply that to sort of everything. And that kind of is the sort of the, you know, the act model in a, in a, a, a bit of a nutshell, whereby, you know, when it comes to, to children, yeah, there, there is stuff you can always do, you know, that there's that there's uh, when it comes to child sleep, you know, there's there are certain things which are going to sort of help you along the way. Um, and that's the control that, you know, which you can control. But but there's huge amounts of stuff which are just so out of your control. And and you, letting go of that is is absolutely fundamental. But the crucial bit is the wisdom to know the difference is to know when you know when to do which and um i always remember that one of my friends who's the most sort of unlikely of parents <laughs> if i'm honest and and the unlikely of sort of wisdom giver but um he said early on when i had my children he said um the biggest thing i've learned is that uh you know whatever it is that's stressing you out within 2 weeks it will have gone <laughs> and there'll be something you know it will have changed and and sort of the sooner you can get to that place where you you sort of are, you know, accepting of this change and especially child sleep, you know, sort of the, 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 the you know, the sort of the challenging thing about child sleep is as parents, you're desperate to get them to sleep and you might get them to sleep. But then the goalposts will move because you know, suddenly they're now teething or they're growing or whatever it is has just, you know, biologically messed it all up again. And so having a huge dose of sort of acceptance in there allows you not to be so attached to this idea of I need to be sleeping all the time and allows you to sort of flexibly navigate your way through this time. But it will pass. It will pass. Nothing nothing lasts forever. No, neither good nor bad lasts forever. So that when you think you've cracked it, uh, it's not that one special sleeping bag you've got or the song you sang before they went to sleep because then eventually, you know, a couple of weeks or even days later, it will all change again. And that can be really unsettling because you think, I, I did it, you know, what, why is it not working anymore? And I think that's also the paradox there of the more you try to control what you can't control, 
the more stress you bring to it. So it's not just true for when we're lying there struggling with insomnia as an adult ourselves, but also when you're trying to make, quote unquote, make your child sleep, Mm. then you bring tension and alertness and stress to that too. And unfortunately, because infants don't have any way of navigating what's threatening in the world without their caregivers, they will tune into our stress levels and our energy and our vibe to figure out is this safe or not safe. So if you're really stressed out, they will feel this is not safe. I'm not going to go to sleep. Yeah, I think that that's a, a really good point. And, and we work with a lot of parents whereby they are, you know, it, having children is, is the trigger for their insomnia. And, you know, and it can, it can so easily escalate whereby the parents, especially mothers, will, will be going, well, they're going to be up again in a feed, you know, to, to, to feed again. And it's that time pressure suddenly has been added onto your sleep. It's like, I need to fall asleep now because they're going to be up in an hour. Um, and, and, you know, and then that can bring in sort of fuel anxiety. And it's like, if I don't get enough sleep, then I will be a rubbish mum or, you know, whatever it may be. And so it's so easy to kind of snowball. And that's where bringing in those tools, being able to sort of mindfully step back and notice, you know, that you're, you're having those thoughts and being able to acknowledge them, etc., is, is such a, an important um, part of this process. Absolutely. And I will never forget the wisdom I got from Kelly Wilson, who's obviously one of the pivotal people within acceptance and commitment therapy, that if you can't sleep, then rest. You know, if you can't sleep, then lie there and count breaths and is still rest. You know, a fundamental part about what we have done over you know sort of the 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 period that i've been developing acceptance and commitment therapy for insomnia is 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 moving away from a lot of the the sort of the rigid rules that i i you know that come with cbt such as you know if you the, the quarter hour rule is one which drives me sort of insane it's you know if you've been awake for more than 15 minutes get out of bed and go and do something else and the, the whole purpose behind that, and it kind of makes sense, is that basically you don't want to be lying in bed struggling. Um, and that's, you know, I totally agree with that. You don't want to be lying in bed and struggling because then you'll just associate the nighttime with struggle. But my big point was, well, why do we have to get out of bed? Why do we have to go and, you know, go and count? I mean, in the old days, it was always, you know, sort of uh, go and sort your CDs or clean your kitchen or, you know, that kind of stuff. Go and do something mundane. And I was like, well, why can't we learn to stay in bed get the benefit from rest because rest is still really good for us. We still get growth and repair, memory consolidation, energy conservation. But during that time, we learn the skill of, of you know, present moment awareness and openness. So, you know, we, we're able to rest in what we call quiet wakefulness, where we are, where we're aware of the, the fact that, you know, anxiety anxious feelings might be rising up. We're aware of those thoughts which say, you know, if I don't sleep, I won't be able to cope tomorrow. I'm going to be a failure or, you know, I'm going to look and feel terrible or whatever, the, you know, those thoughts are. But we're, we're, we're welcoming them at the door. Um, we, we meet them and we are able to sort of use, a, you know, using an act term, diffuse the power that they have over us. And so help us to then make more helpful actions, which in that moment is just choosing to rest just choosing to rest and be still. And what we then do is that the point of that is that is sending a completely different message to your amygdala. It's saying, actually, you know, this place isn't dangerous. You know, actually, we are safe. And with safety comes sleep. Mm. And it also has uh, the benefit of, of 
not having a negative impact on the rest of your household. Because if you constantly got out of bed and potted about, you know, turn the lights on downstairs or whatever, you know, I couldn't get, do that without waking the baby up first off. And, you know, it has an impact on your partner. So they will notice that you get out of the bed and shuffle around and creaking floorboards. So being able to meet yourself where you're at, staying in the bed and and meeting your mind in a kind of way, I think that's, that's a really helpful point. And I'm hoping that a lot of the people who are listening who might be very high striving or perfectionistic and kind of getting caught up in thoughts about the to-do list that, you know, it's not necessarily a helpful thing to get up and work on that thing that you have on your to-do list, uh, even though that can feel very alluring. Like, you know, if I just go downstairs and I just crack on with this for an hour, then I'll probably be able to sleep afterwards. I don't know what your thoughts are on that guy. Yeah, th- this is a really good point around, you know, what what if I just get up and, you know, sort of get busy, get, you know, start doing something. And, and, and the physiology behind that is, well, that'll allow my sleep drive to build up and therefore I'll fall sleepy, feel sleepy and, and go back to bed. But my issue with it is, is that as soon as you start sort of this habit of getting up and doing stuff, you know, and, and where you're, you're entering a state of active wakefulness, whereby, for example, you are, you, you know, you're checking emails, you're, you're, you're doing your accounts, or, you know, you're, 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 you're sort of high performing, let's say, in, in some sort of daytime activity, or it could just be you're scrolling through social media, or wh- whatever it is, there's cognitive and emotional sort of functioning, which is equivalent to, you know, sort of what you would do in the daytime. The problem with that is that puts a little mark in your circadian rhythm, whereby it's your your circadian rhythm is is this 24 hour rhythm, which is responsible for every sort of biological process. And what happens is so many of our clients will go, oh, well, you know, sort of I started doing that. And now I just can't stop my body from waking up at two minutes past two. And it's it's kind of like what's happened is whatever you do at that time, whether it's, you know, that what, what constitutes that struggle it's your brain just goes, oh, two minutes past two. This is where we need to get up and panic. This is where we need to get up and check emails. This is where we need to get up and go and eat something. And so it's now become a sort of a conditioned response. And, and that's where, you know, at Sleep School, where, where we have to sort of take people through the process of uh, and retrain them how and uh, retrain their brains, you know, how to sleep naturally again, to recognize that it doesn't need to be up at that time doing that stuff. So that's always my fear. And I totally agree because it's something that I see a lot with the sort of the the type of anxiety and and um, busyness that shows up for the people that I work with, sort of their mind getting caught, um, you know, getting the better of them basically and needing to kind of follow that urge. But the more we follow an urge, the stronger the urge also gets, mm. where if we can sort of almost like do some bit of urge surfing. I've, one of my favorites is to lie there and just feel the sheets with my feet uh, and just follow, so surf the urge, you know, and then eventually the urge passes and my mind goes somewhere else. Um, and it, that tends to happen if you allow it to just drift rather than holding it too tightly. So there's been lots of wisdom and nuggets here and around, and it's obviously always music to my ears when someone talks about the benefit of resting, um, because obviously this is pause, purpose and play. So I wonder we talked a lot about your purpose there, Guy, about why you started the sleep school and we've kind of understanding your passion around in you know, spreading this message around better sleep and better living. But what about yourself? Have you struggled to to pause yourself, to rest, to recover? Oh, a- absolutely. <laughs> I, I, uh, I would say I'm I, I'm I'm one of life's sort of um, well, basically, I, one of my passions is is gardening. I have this kind of like uh, this image of me sitting 
in a garden, enjoying it, you know, with, with like a cup of tea or whatever it may be. Do I do it? No. Um, but what, so what, 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 I, what I do is every day I, I will sort of make a habit of, of spending a minute just sitting and being in my garden. Uh, pausing. So I, I am, I'm definitely one of life's doers, but I, I, I see the, I, I try to bring in lots of moments of pausing. So when I walk back from the school, I pause and we'll look at this, this big oak tree, for example. I come out from my office and I, I pause and just sit uh, in the garden, taking in the senses. And so I try to bring in lots of moments of pause and just recognize that I'm never going to get to this sort of the place which my mind creates where I'm this sort of wonderful, I can just, you know, I'm completely uh, reclined and relaxed, but I, I can, you know, build up a habit, a daily habit of just lots of mini little pauses. Yeah, Alice, that image of Zen that also creates the pressure, isn't it? Yeah. You know, if I'm not living that life, if I'm not able to sit there and my mind is completely focused on the, you know, the rows in front of me, then I failed. So actually, instead of that going for, well, what is the good enough? Then what is the doable thing? What can I do? Yeah. Is that pause pocket. And I often say that the pause pocket fuels your rocket <laughs> so that you can do the things you're passionate about. Um, you know, it rhymes, so it makes it extra good. <laughs> um, so those little mini pockets of pausing is, is a really great way to start when you are a high, you know, high achiever and you've obviously done a lot of big things in your career. So I wonder if we can lastly think about playfulness you know what's playful for you how do you let go and, and play yourself I mean personally I movement is a big one for me one of the biggest ways I will I will play is move so I, I climb I absolutely love you know sort of we go to indoor climbing quite a lot but we're you know being outdoor is that is the goal so just being out in nature climbing on cliffs is you know sea cliffs that's that's amazing. But also, I absolutely love water as well. So paddleboarding and just being, you know, just being you know, on the water. But play can also be, you know, sort of recently, um, my kids are now older, and I'm enjoying I love the fact that we can play cards together. Um, so mm. it's, you know, it's such a delight. Um, you know, no, no more uh, Teletubbies and stuff like that. We're actually, you know, we, we sit down and uh, we'll play a uh, you know, a decent card game before bed as a, as a sort of, a, you know, because it's a, it's a non-digital and calming activity. Mm. It's a lovely point of connection there as well, that we can, when the kids are a bit older, we can do things that don't feel so mind-numbingly boring. Um, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm very sort of happy to, to not do any more in the night garden. Um, is it just, it's just crazy, isn't it? It's just terrible. So but when they're older, you can kind of engage in play that feels like it's on your own terms as well. So it sounds like it's more rewarding for you and not just something you do because it will be fun for the children, but you engage in the same fun. So thank you for sharing that and the vulnerability there of saying that actually you sometimes feel quite far away from that image of the serene gardener, but that's okay too. You can still look at that oak tree for a moment. So thank you so much for sharing all of these things. And I hope that people have found the sleep science today really interesting. And also the paradoxical things of what not to do about your sleep. So obviously the sleep book is a great resource for anyone who wants to look at it. What's the name of your app? It's the same thing. It's Sleep School app. Sleep School app. And we also have a fantastic Facebook community as well, which a lot of the people who use the app um, join our, our private face, uh, Facebook Sleep School community. And, and I run free Q&As on there every couple of weeks and it's just the most wonderful kind caring supportive group so if you are really struggling you you can navigate there as well and, and hopefully pick up some really great help 
Fantastic. And as you said that, there was a very tired-looking mother with a tiny baby in a sling who walked past my window, and I'm sending just a warm thought to her of solidarity, <laughs> because we are not alone. Like you said, 99% of people feel that they wake up unrefreshed. So as a final point of, you know, a little gift or a takeaway to the listeners, what would be a permission you want to give them or a pressure you want to take off them? So it, it's kind of a paradox, but it's, it's very much, you know, in line with what we've been talking about. What I will spend a lot of my time when we're talking with, with clients is we ask people to give themselves permission to be awake because there is so much pressure to be asleep. And, and but when you can actually just give yourself permission to be awake, well, that sets the both the psychological and physiological wheels in motion um uh, uh, that, that allow sleep to emerge naturally um so yeah permission to be awake is what i'll leave people with thank you so much guy it's been a fantastic pleasure to talk to you i have so many more questions i would have loved to ask you uh, especially uh, about sugar and things like that so there might be an- another episode coming in the future you never know the Sounds sleep good. science keeps evolving okay. so thank you so much for your time and um enjoy the rest of your day thanks so much michaela take care So there you have it, Balls, Peppers, Players. Thank you so much for listening to the end of this episode with Dr. Guy Meadows. And I hope you're not disappointed. I hope you didn't come to this episode looking for a quick fix, hoping to sort of sort out your sleep and sleep well forever after. We just don't do that here. We don't work with quick fixes and magic cures. Most things that are worth having are worth working for. And I don't mean that as in working hard to fix your sleep, because that's the whole point of this episode, is that you let go of that fixing, you let go of that struggle, you surrender into it, that it is what it is. And some nights will be better, some nights will be worse. If you feel that you are very overwhelmed at the moment, and that's having an impact on your sleep, and that the worrying thoughts in your mind, that just needing to have a bit of a break, then you can do what I told Guy today. Find some of these quick, easy little pockets of pausing. Something that you can do to take a break before you break. Go to thethomasconnection.co.uk forward slash calm for a free downloadable worksheet on how to calm the overwhelm, to take easy breaks even though you are busy, and also looking into what's getting in the way, what's stopping you from stopping. Because if you keep working like that, if you keep pushing through, like we said in this episode, you're likely to be really wound up and wired and sleep might be more elusive. So to learn some of these quick ways of taking a break before you break, go to thethomasconnection.co.uk forward slash calm. And as always, dear listener, do take care of yourself. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to this episode. I know it's not easy when you feel busy and overwhelmed to find time for another thing to do. If this is you, if you feel overwhelmed or that you are close to your breaking point, then I've got a downloadable checklist for you that's going to help. This checklist is called Calm the Overwhelm. The first section has signs and symptoms of you being overwhelmed mentally or physically showing you that you might be close to breaking point or burning out. The second part is actionable, easy things you can do to try to slow down and give yourself a break. 
And the third part is a checklist of all the things that might show up when you're asking yourself to take a break. Perhaps your inner critical voice will have an opinion about why you're not allowed to give yourself the permission to pause. To download this free resource, go to www.thethomasconnection.co.uk forward slash calm. So that's thethomasconnection.co.uk forward slash calm. This episode of the Pause Purpose Play podcast was presented by me, Michaela Thomas. You can find me on thethomasconnection.co.uk. And because great work rests on having a great team, this episode was kindly edited by Emily Crosby Media.